0: Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. My name is Joe Hilliard and every week I am joined right here by... Carlos Cooper
1: and Dave Gurney. I think I made us move in the wrong direction. I'm sorry, Carlos. No, it's okay about that.
2: Everyone, uh, that was such a relaxed intro. I gotta
0: say, Joe, well done. I was concentrating with every fiber of my being because I know that I'm the last to have memorized that soliloquy and i think i got it pretty good no you you crushed it as you were doing
2: it i think maybe because it was more relaxed uh-huh. and i was looking for maybe some more energy i started thinking maybe that i should do like the migo's thing like you know you say uh <laughs> Lambo. Be <our> Lambo. <laughs> you know but just like well, you I, you know, hype, know, you, this, hype you
0: up as you're doing it and our, our main film this week our new release is not one that you want to walk into with you know calm and relaxed (laughs) well yeah
1: it's it's not trying to make you calm no
2: if you did walk in that way you probably would not leave that way david you brought in
0: a suitcase of beer and as (laughs) is our custom we'll open one up right here at the top yeah absolutely so
1: we're, we're going back into that realm of uh superhero films even though i guess these aren't technically heroes um but uh I thought, you know, it would be a nice tie-in here to bring... This is from a series of beers that B52 does, which... I don't know if we've had... I thought I was going to look. And t- I think the- we
2: have had... The, we had some B-52
1: on the program?
2: I think it was the super episode with Harold where we had like 17 beers in one episode. Oh,
1: <laughs> and it got folded in. And I'm not... Yeah. I think I th- so. Well, the, so B-52, just in case people haven't listened to that episode, they're a brewery. They are a brewery out of Conroe, Texas, which is kind of like northwest of Houston. Mm-hmm. I was That's up there. That's where Southern Star is. People uh, probably know Southern Star. That's true. The Bombshell Blonde, yeah. right? Um, Buried Hatchet. Yeah. N- not been there myself, and I hadn't been here until just a few weeks ago.
2: I don't think the tap room is much to speak of it. Yeah.
1: Well, this is a nice venue. I mean, if you're ever up in that area, I would say B-52 is worth checking out. Lots of space, mm-hmm. uh, big and open, even the inside. And this is a series that they do that are smoothie sours, uh, which you know, we've, we have definitely played with in the past on the look program. At Joe, look, he's, he's learning to, I agitate. don't make the same, same mistake. Can, baby. Um,
0: uh, that was episode 71. Carlos, you nailed it. Har- uh, Har- Harold was our special guest. It was a year in 2019 Ooh, episode, nice. and I think we had six or seven beers, and it's really one worth listening to. Yeah. We yeah. drank the B52 Szechuan sauce.
2: I knew it was the Szechuan Oh. It's like green. I remember
0: yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: my gosh. That is a blast from the past.
2: Yeah. A B52 is a brewery that is notable. I don't know if it's quite stayed the same as it was at one point, but there was a point where.
1: Their hazies were highly sought after. Yeah, and I think they still have uh, that. In fact, I I got a pale ale there that I brought back, and maybe we'll have that on another show or on an After Hours or something that I thought was pretty good. But, but it was definitely on the hazy end of pale ales. And also, I had a great pilsner there, which I th- these days are exactly what I'm looking for. But but I thought for you guys and for the tie-in for us going back Ooh, to the superhero yeah. well, getting this. So this super smoothie series has lots of different flavor combinations. This particular one is strawberry, blueberry, and marshmallow. It's also an imperial fruited, so it's ten and a half percent. Boys,
0: let's go. Button up the, those pants. The nose on this. Whatever. Wait, you- what? The nose oh. on this is a, a, a bo- a, like a box of Lucky Charms. It is marshmallow yep. and fruit hard. I haven't yeah. taken a sip yet.
2: Yeah, and a kind of tartness on the nose, too, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That comes through. Um, so in case um, you yeah. like to go into these blind and haven't read the episode title yet to see what movies we are talking about, I'm here to tell you, we are talking about James Gunn's 2021 remake reboot, complete disregard for the first revamping of uh, the comic book series Suicide Squad. This one is called the the Suicide Squad, and differentiation. A differentiation. There, yeah. uh, it's like that. Stolen
0: from the Fast and the Furious. You add a couple right. of these. It's a whole new movie. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't
1: there a record called Number Four with a Smile? That's what I said. No, no. You said the number four with a smile. There's no the at the front of the title of the album. It's a reference to a Chinese meal in Toronto. Uh, so I think that there is a the. But I could be wrong. You can be.
2: And are wrong. For those not familiar, The Suicide Squad is um, its a comic book Uh, series that has been going on for a very long time that has now been adapted into uh, two feature films Uh, the general premise is that uh, supervillains get captured right and they go to jail they sure do Um, and so the government has decided that Why have all of these people with spectacular powers just wasting away when you could put them to good use to die for God and country? And so they put together these groups of supervillains that are currently incarcerated and they send them out on missions that they will almost certainly die in in exchange for uh, time off of their prison sentences, thus giving them the name the Suicide Squad because they're going on these suicide missions. And so that is what is happening in this one. Um, in this particular film, there are a bunch of uh, supervillains you've never heard of, if you're an average, if, I mean, even if you're a comic book reader.
1: Yeah, for they, some, they, they seem to they, have dug deep. They dug pretty and, fucking yeah.
2: deep. Uh, and, 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 and Harley Quinn, who you do know. Um, right. And they, they are... They do
1: that to bridge. I mean, that's bridge, this... Yeah. uh the she's,
2: de- she's the only thing that has worked... Yeah. In a long time Well, she's kind of
1: the linchpin of this DC extended universe that they are pushing with the Suicide Squad and Birds of of Prey. One of the
0: linchpins, if you consider that Wonder Woman's stock went up, you know, I mean, I know we'll get into it, DC versus Marvel. You can't not when you see this this new chapter. Yeah, yeah, save some time for that. Um, How did DC do this go around? Well... We'll certainly discuss that. Um,
2: and so, yeah, so they put together the Suicide Squad, and the premise of the film is they're sending them to this island off the coast of... Uh, this island nation off the coast of South America called Cordo Maltese, where a military coup has been executed, and a new anti-American regime has been installed and has taken power. And so it is in the interest of the United States government to get in there, go to... Uh, Jotunheim—is that what it was called? The big four tower fortress, um, where they know where, or, or where intelligence at. How how Amanda Amanda Waller, who is played by Viola Davis, how she pitches it. She's the one that is the orchestrator of all these things. She says that something to the effect of, uh, "We have reliable intelligence that there is a high-powered weapon mm-hmm. on this island that now could be used against American citizens. We have to go there, and we have to." Neutralize this threat, and so you guys are going to go do that. And so that's the film is them going and trying to execute this mission. Um, as you would expect with a film like Suicide Squad, you have a very ragtag cast of characters. So, um, just to give, there's not going to be a ca- fucking cast say okay? Just to give a quick overview, you've got Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Again, she, as as Joe uh, pointed out, she has been the linchpin of the DC Extended Universe, appearing in Suicide Squad and then having her own film, Birds of Prey, uh, which we didn't talk about. But I will say is a is an excellent film. I watched it. Yeah. Very fun. Uh, and then you've got Idris Elba, who like love love him. Mm-hmm. Not just his acting, but he he's he's got some good songs out there too. Uh, huh. Uh, he's playing Robert Dubois. Did I say that right?
1: Well, mostly they call him Bloodsport, so... But, uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Slash Bloodsport. And then John Cena as the Peacemaker. Uh, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg, who is a a pretty stalwart figure in the comics. So comic fans will definitely know who... If you're a fan of the Suicide Squad comics, you'll definitely know who Rick Flagg is. Uh, And then down the list from there, some more kind of characters that are off to the side, even in the context of the film, like... uh, Including the kind of zany characters. The ca- king shark. King shark voice by Sylvester Stallone, the weasel who's not there for all that long. Um, the Captain Boomerang character departs sooner than I would have cared for.
0: And Pete Davidson shows up.
2: Polka dot man who is uh, around for most of the yeah, film. He's one of the yeah, main guys. and then uh, Daniela Melquois or. Mel Melchior? I don't I don't know how you would say her. The Ratcatcher too. The Ratcatcher too. I really I I liked her character. I I, I liked her yeah. as a, as an on screen presence in her performance. I mean, not that she was given a ton to do to be able to say, like, what a great performance, yeah. but you know, she was uh, one of the one of the positive notes of the film, I think. Um I agree. But to kick off the film and to kick off the discussion, I mean, the first thing that happens is you see this group of people being put together, storming the beach, Captain Boomerang, Pete Davidson, Flula Borg, Mm -hmm. um, Margot Robbie gets in there at some point, um, and a a few other people, and then we see them all instantly killed very easily. Uh, (laughs) With the
1: exception of Harley Quinn. With the exception of Harley uh, Quinn. uh, uh, And Rick Flag, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, Harley Quinn and Rick Flag are the only ones that survive, but what, seven of the
1: nine people oh, yeah. on the
2: team are instantly it killed? Was, oh, it was a great,
1: I think it was a great intro. I mean, I, I as as far as this goes, I didn't read about this film going into it. Yeah, I didn't know that kind of... it. Maybe it was just common knowledge that they were going to kill off the first team very quickly.
0: And the first team I don't included Michael Rooker. You see Michael him Rooker. and you think he's yeah. going to be sticking around for a while. Well, yeah, and Pete Davidson I, and, but
2: they yeah. did a little bait and switch, didn't they? I yeah. hated Michael Rooker's character design. Oh, Yeah. Hated it. Cannot, s- couldn't stand to the look at him with the hair. long blonde o- old hair. Old yeah, man Aquaman.
0: Oh my
1: god!
2: Yeah. And then,
0: and I mean, but I, you don't have to look at it for long because no, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, they, they go to do their mission and are summarily killed.
1: J- yeah, just wiped out by an overwhelming force. Which we Instantly. then learned
0: it was a ploy by uh, Agent. What is it? Task Force 10, by Waller. Agent who, Force it, Ten. Va- uh, the name of Argus. This, uh, no, no. Well, anyway, the, keeps, Team Force Ten. Oh, keep, I anyway. oh, I can't. Yeah. I not What they that call this? This yeah. is the Shield of uh, yeah. the, the DCU. Um, and then we notice. Then we learned that there's Argus. a second team. Task Force the, X is what Joe's talking about. Task Force X. Oh, okay. But Idris, they're part of Argus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, Idris Elba and that's his set. The second team actually then are the stars of the movie. They recon with the two surviving from the other team. And then together they go in to do their task, which is to uh, ex- blow up the, uh, a place where there's a secret uh, experiment going on. Right. Uh, at the... Recon in an incredibly funny
1: way, especially yeah. with the flag character. Right. I mean, when they go through the the uh, you know Freedom Fighters camp and just kill everybody, assuming that they're <laughs> part of the Corto Maltese military, military or whatever. Yeah. It,
0: uh, I, the context I did not is, find
2: that joke funny. I, I had not
0: seen.
1: Oh, why? It's crass.
2: <laughs> they just, like, massacred an entire group of, like... Okay, if, if you're going biners, into a superhero
1: I mean, film thinking that you're going to get anything other than body... Especially an R-rated one, yeah, it's I just going to be... I
2: think, I think the part that... I mean, I I already didn't think that sequence was that funny to begin with. Like, I, like it was fine. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, like, mad about it. Yeah. But the joy with which the characters, like, massacre all these people and the minimal to no remorse that they have for it, you know? And I understand that they're supervillains and stuff like that, but... Yeah. How that how that read to me was more like oh James Gunn thinks this is that thinks that this is sure. the kind of thing that's funny and I like I don't find it I to think it's be a I think it's humorous. a
1: black humor that yeah. I I mean which
2: you which I think can be done but you know <laughs> massacring a group of oppressed people isn't that funny in any no, way you frame I, I, I it I mean know? I
1: think it's you're supposed to be shocked at how unfunny it is and how these characters just blaze through that space I don't know I found it an effective scene is what I like I, Sure uh,
2: effective but these guys not. who
1: are showing off to each other in yeah. this like pompous way yeah. and then it's like oh and by the way you just happen to kill like your allies on this island yeah. who might have been able to help you because you're such pompous buffoon mm-hmm. I don't know it, it for me it it was as close to good character development
0: as this film got. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. James Gunn, of course, the three of us know that he directed uh, guardians of the galaxy for Marvel, which I think many people, myself included thought was a nice shot of fresh air. And he's going back for three now into the Marvel kind of game that they had played up until that point. Um, and, Guardians of the Galaxy much like this film of course are l- lesser known superheroes. Yeah. So you've got to introduce this not just with the effects that are going to you know be probably the star of the show more than anything but actors with charisma f- uh, humorous uh, cute uh, toy selling uh, team members uh, yeah. with Groot, you know, and yeah. uh, Rocket. Uh, ra- uh, Rocket. Rocket, Rocket, Rocket,
2: yeah. yeah. Oh, with more Toy Silly with Guardians than this one,
0: I think. But, sure, yeah. but here you've got. Uh, I'd hu- humanoid animals you know with the shark king, king shark and the the weasel the weasel you and, and <laughs> then also lend creepy. itself for the potential of, of humor with sylvester stallone doing the voice of king shark being kind of a much like uh, vin diesel uh, doing i was gonna say that's Groot, the group sure, that's the Groot. Groot or, or the hulk or when analogies. he is the hulk having limited vocabulary mm-hmm. um and And you could see James Gunn at work doing many of the same things here. I oh, think that definitely The, the leads yeah. were charming. The cast did a fine job acting, and you have plenty of opportunities for humor. Uh, and, and with that R rating, I mean, he really, I think went for the limits of what he could do when it came to gore and yeah, you know, yeah. For sure. I mean, yeah. King yeah. which I enjoyed that, that, that boomerang yeah. guy that sliced the head open and then the head slides. I was
2: really sad about Captain Boomerang being dispatched so soon because that is a because character i a, i remember from the comics and when i saw him pop up i was like oh this is a deep cut like, <laughs> and this is yeah. a good deep cut you yeah. know and and yeah i was he of the first wave i was like man i really could have gone i replace polka dot man with captain boomerang because yeah, the polka dot man is more c- or less I kind of like that character he was okay. I, I didn't like the power I didn't. Uh-huh. No, didn't. but I
1: mean, nobody did.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, the,
0: the goal of the squad, of course, the, their objective is to blow up this base, this hidden base where uh, a elaborate experiment is going on, and Operation they do. Starfish. And there's mm-hmm. the first ending of the film is they're successful in their goal, Project Starfish, and then a second goal uh, erupts, which is that this mad scientist experiment is now loose. Mm -hmm. Uh, to which one one of the kind of likable guys at the lab that you see almost looks directly into the camera and goes, oh, my God, we got a fucking kaiju here, you know. (laughs) Like, a lot of winking at the audience and, you know, hey, we're about to see some really fun, cool, over-the-top things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was never a deep comic book guy, but even I had heard of Starro... Um, is it Starro the Conqueror? Starro the Conqueror,
2: which is interesting. I had not. Really? Never, I, think I it never was. Had.
1: I, I think I played an RPG that was based on DC characters at some point that incorporated Starro because I, I, I... This is
2: taking the nerd of this podcast to the next level. Good, you said, all right. You said the word... R- you said RPG. That's the trigger for peak nerdum. <laughs> <nerddom.
1: laughs> I'll put that in the hashtags when, when we promote this one. Beer in a movie, Dungeons and Dragons game. That's what uh, we should At know. some point, yeah. Starro emerge <laughs> <laughs> i'll write him in so i i kind of appreciated seeing this character that i i had never even seen successfully in the comics but i knew existed in the universe yeah like kind of pop up and and you know it was a mix of befuddling and strange and ridiculous and somewhat
0: terrifying i well, mean yeah, the well, way just, it was shooting out it. these
1: yeah. well because he's like shooting out from his starfish armpits more these, starfish it's a godzilla small size starfish.
0: it's a godzilla sized. Godzilla-sized Star, yeah. starfish, but in the With center of the, the center. is is an eyeball, a very right. human-looking eyeball, uh-huh. and Which apparently there's a lot of stuff going on in there. When they shoot him, this big Godzilla-sized starfish, tiny starfish like Clo- like a la Cloverfield yeah. or a la um, Alien Face Huggers,
2: there exactly hundreds alien of
0: them come out, and then they're taking the population and turning it not into a host for uh, infection, but they start controlling. They start, it's a mass yeah. consciousness yeah. of whoever's got a tiny
1: starfish it's on their face with an eyeball situation. It's a yeah, yeah,
2: which it's, is a cool villain. I, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I got to
0: tell you, it, if they had gone for some kind of Cloverfield-like alien thing that was scary, it wouldn't have been as, as satisfying as this kind of like Silly. really comic book looking. Yeah, with all of the. Um, uh, danger of the stay-puffed Marshmallow Man from the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. This cute <laughs> yeah, exterior has, has that's, that. you know, that's the, gonna crush the ba- an entire city with its size. Yeah,
2: the baseline conceit for what Starro is, Giant Killer Starfish, is kind of a silly one. And yeah.
0: yeah. It, 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 any more silly than any of the other heroes that are there? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah.
2: Uh, but yeah, I feel like slightly sillier because it's a fucking starfish, <laughs> which are, like, largely inanimate, like, are borderline inanimate right, objects, right. you know? Uh, but... Yeah, I, I do think that they elevate it to a fairly admirable villain, like a one that it, um a formidable that sort of. A re, formidable you, foe. Where
1: you may laugh at first, but then by but the then time like, the battle's oh, going on, you're taking it seriously. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this thing has an army. I feel like we're beams. dancing around. I feel like nobody's quite said what they feel about this film in terms of whether they liked it I or not. Gonna, I wasn't I wasn't going to be the first to you're do not it, and be I still won't. Uh,
0: I'll go first. Okay. Uh, for a roller coaster movie, I enjoyed it very much. I think that James Gunn had a lot to do with that. I think that this he pulls some fantastic acting out of some otherwise fantastic actors. I was really, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest John Cena fan. I know some of the people in the room are. I was really some impressed with room, his just with his on it. acting and and you know, uh, uh, the type of acting that they're doing for this po- movie. Mm-hmm. But I thought that like i said marvel needed a something different about the time that guardians of the galaxy came out dc unlike marvel is marred by these failures people really not enjoying the universe that's been created They're serious films with aren't a few blips hitting. here and yeah, there that are yeah. more popular than others i think this if dc's trying to set itself right does um, because I think this movie will be very very popular, make a lot a lot of money and give some of these characters some some spin-off hopes in the in the way that Marvel has done so successfully.
2: It's made some good money already and it already does have a spin-off series for Peacemaker. Right. Coming, out, coming to that. HBO Max. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they've filmed it. Oh, like, they already I have yeah. I think it's wrapped.
0: Wow, uh. freedom is so dear to me that I will kill any man, woman, or child to ensure that <laughs> it exists. That was a great line. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of subversiveness in this film. There really is. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think you know the, the aforementioned uh, sequence in the rebel camp. I I think that um, I I fall a little bit below where you are, Joe, in terms of enthusiasm. In part because of what you mentioned before, like seeing gun so closely replicate the formula that he had going okay. That's, with you Guardians. You can't say it any other way. It, it felt a little less impressive. Like, I remember seeing Guardians, the, the first one, when it came out, and I think you said it. It was like a breath of fresh air. It was, okay, this is a more um, sort of subversive, slightly um, obviously sillier, funnier bringing take, the tongue in cheek very up front Yeah with the take on, and and these characters that are constantly undercutting their own prowess and defla- you know uh Star Lord right that's that's the Chris cracker uh-huh. you know that that he's like this you know, constantly embattled. Nobody ever takes him as seriously as he wants to be taken. Nobody, you know, and, and you see that kind of play out with these characters, the the lead characters here with Bloodsport and uh, Peacemaker, where they're kind of constantly battling with one another over who's really kind of the, the lead and who's the baddest of the asses, you know? Who, the, well, who's ass is the
0: baddest? It's also told when they're introduced to one another that they have the exact same powers, basically. Right, right, right. So,
1: I mean, th- there's these dynamics. Again, the, the funny casting of the action stars as voices for these kind of largely CGI characters. Who's with the Groot Weasel character? Shark. Uh, Weasel. Oh, oh, Groot, okay. Yeah. Right. And, I thought uh, you
2: meant... Multiple action stars as voices in this
1: film. No, I meant Diesel and Stallone yeah, across the yeah. film. Like you just compare them, and it's like there's things like even they're as wildly small similar. As, yeah, there, there's like so it's, it's a, it, ma- a
0: Mad Libs element almost. It was
1: less refreshing, but it was done. I mean, I think it does have overall a darker tone to it than Guardians does. Yeah, um, got that PG-13. because it's going for the R. Right, and, and it's a hard R. And yeah, and given. The concept of taking people who are like kind of irredeemably um, villainous, you know, the, the, or, you know, have done things to have had them locked up away from society. I think that there's something there. I also think the commentary element, which I know you kind of felt like maybe they muddled in some ways, I think there is kind of a, an interesting social political commentary element going on here with, you know, Argus is this arm of the American government and the way that they're sort of. They're funding this experimentation, but at the same time, you know, bringing in their forces to kind of shut it down. I mean, it's the way that America plays its role in the world militarily, minus supervillains and superheroes in in general. And giant starfish. Yeah, and giant starfish. Although
2: sometimes there is a chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water. <laughs> oh
1: my God. Did you just put a limb biscuit reference in this I did. episode? I did. All right. I, d- I did oh it for the God. nookie. It, well, I hope it gets you some because it was worth <laughs> nothing else. There is no redeem. But so, so biscuit
2: is a plant by the U S government. You know that, right?
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. That would explain a lot. Um, I still haven't watched that Woodstock 99 documentary. I have to do that. Yeah, maybe after hours we'll talk. Uh, so, so I was a little less impressed. I think it, it got a little soft in the middle. You know, uh, I, I think that some of the team bonding development stuff wasn't as, like, some of it, I think, was pretty sharp The Idris Elba, um, John Cena, I think, played off each other fairly well. Because that's tight, too. That's, like, yeah. concise writing. Yeah, I think so. But then, you know, some of the other characters, I did like Ratcatcher too. I, I don't him. feel like polka dot man ever I like uh, David Dalsmation or whatever who was in Prisoners just a few well a bunch of episodes back <clears throat> and
2: he's in the Dark Knight as well right um, I mean
1: he has just a creepiness to him
2: he's got an odd face
1: yeah and and the This character, as with all the characters he plays, plays into that, and And he's
2: he's fairly pale and like has jet black hair, you know, which adds to the whole. Right,
1: right, just
2: naturally, you know.
1: Yeah, but never goes like straight goth with the character. It's kind of anyway. So, so there there's stuff to like here. I found it enjoyable overall, but when I'm comparing it to something like Guardians, I think it it is a a little step below. In in terms of what DC does in general. And I still haven't seen Birds of Prey, so you guys have a, have a leg good. up on me there. Um, I feel like it is definitely a couple steps ahead of where any of the other DC stuff I've seen has been. It's certainly. Maybe other than Wonder Woman.
2: Yeah, it's certainly a step ahead of any of the Batman stuff since Nolan, a step mm. ahead of any Justice League cut you want to watch. Yeah. Um, maybe a step ahead of Wonder Woman 1984. Certainly not the first one. I think so. Um, And it's a step ahead of the first Suicide Squad. I mean, it's, it's markedly better than all of those. It's certainly not as good as Birds of Prey. Okay. That movie, it does a lot of what this movie is trying to do without trying to be so look at how dark and humorous i am which james gunn has a little bit of that in him or mm. you know he's he wants to be edgy um and sometimes you can tell that he wants to be edgy and so it's not edgy anymore yeah. uh but it it succeeds where suicide squad fails birds of prey does and that it's fun start to finish and it doesn't really ever let up on the pace and it doesn't have the doldrums of the middle 45 minutes of this movie. And then another DC movie that is recent that I think is better than this is Shazam. I watched that recently and I was very surprised by it. Like it was a fun film. Yeah. And so Zach exactly. Levy's a fun actor to watch. He is a fun actor yeah, to watch. Yeah, I, I, I like the um, Chuck. And, uh, and, and Mark Ms. Strong. Uh, the way you were talking about the guy that plays the polka-up king being kind of like a creepy yeah. whatever. Mark Strong has a very villainous face and yeah. voice. Yeah. Uh, and he is He works as a good villain. He's a that, great yeah. villain. Um, but I there are good things to this movie. And so I'm not going to be as hyperbolic as I normally am and just come out and say this movie sucks because that's not true. But there is a, but there is a reason that this movie debuted on Rotten Tomatoes at a 98% and has now dropped to a 91% as like more people are seeing it and more reviews are coming in because it's not a great movie. Mm -mm. It's
0: maybe good. It's it's (laughs) solid entertainment.
2: It's passable. Yeah. You know, it's i mean if we're grading it on the curve of dc yeah this is the fucking godfather almost i mean this is the godfather one and then like right. wonder woman the first one is like the godfather two or something yeah. you know because dc is shit you know like their movies are shitty because warner bros or a or warner brothers fucking sucks ass at making these movies like they are by and large the most incompetent group of studio executives that Potentially have ever existed. Uh, (laughs) I just feel like Marvel
0: beat them to the punch so hard.
2: It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact because they did it. The Dark Knight was incredible. The Dark Knight is a fucking Oscar winning film. You're right. You know, and Batman Begins was good. Like, they, with Nolan, they had something set up. The problem is, is that they wanted him to keep doing it. He wouldn't. And so they got. Pressured, however, it happened. They got enough out of Nolan to get him to like executive produce the first couple in this new wave and co-sign Zack Snyder, and then handed the keys to that idiot. Yeah. And it's completely and so since then, you know, they thought they tried to go this like dark direction with characters that aren't inherently dark, like Superman, for instance. Yeah. And it they shot themselves in the foot doing it because they've spent more time trying to think of how they're going to differentiate themselves to Marvel and like the like lane that they're gonna cut for the carve out for themselves rather than like paying service to the source material like they're not interested in doing justice to the characters they're not mm. interested in doing justice to the story they're interested in branding and marketing and how that's going to be well, able to set them uh, apart and, from Marvel and, and make the money and, and pa- and but then part su- of
1: the problem is like which which source material do you go with because those characters sure. even in the comic books have been reimagined and re- revamped yeah. several times over so that's there true. are darker versions that they could play into
2: not as much of superman though okay. like superman stays pretty consistently i mean wasn't
1: there like one where they like there was like a uh there's opposite like universe bizarre but even that that's right? not
2: Come that on, dark okay. you know um batman yes gets very dark you know that world gets more mm-hmm. into that realm they never really in a i mean if you looked at like key superman stories and like the key superman books that yeah. are selling really high if they're graded a certain thing like the things that fans look at for S- superman wonder woman Even Green Lantern, even though they did a whole super event called Blackest Night, they never get Nolan dark. They never get Snyder-level dark. And so because of that, I get what the executives are thinking, and they're like, okay, Marvel's doing this thing, so we have to do something else. Yeah, What is that going to be? Zack Snyder makes really dark movies. Let's let him do it. Um, But anyway... uh, so it, it wasn't as much that Marvel beat them to the punch. It's just that Warner Bros. has no idea what they're fucking doing. <laughs> um, th- now, all of that being said is I think that now they are seeing the success that Marvel has with the jokes and the quips and the, like, you know, it's kind of lighthearted, but then it gets serious in Well, the and they act, took the guy know? who does it, or and one of the t- guys t- who exactly. does it for him. Yeah, and, yeah. and, I mean, they were already kind of trying to do that a little bit with Harley Quinn, obviously, yeah. um, like, very blatantly, in fact. Um, and they... It just I don't know. There's there's disconnect there. I think with this one there are with this movie specifically to get back on track, there are highlights to it for sure. Like I I like Idris Idris Elba's performance yeah. well enough. Yeah. I like John Cena's performance well enough. Mm-hmm. I I already spoke on the rat catcher too. Um <sighs>
1: But then... There's no bad performances in there, are no, there? No, no,
2: there's no bad... There's bad right. material, I mean, to a certain degree. And and it and it really does get boring after, like, an hour, hour yeah. 15. It gets, like, really uh, fucking boring for I was never bored, but I,
0: I see your point. It just... I mean... Kind of just more stuff happens, more stuff happens, more stuff well, happens. Well, I feel like and they I built feel-
1: stuff in there to allow for the team dynamic slash character relationships to kind of build a mm-hmm. bit yeah. but i don't think that was super necessary i mean yeah i, I think I this could have been it could have been an hour 45 and you know yeah i i, I really do think that the, it just gets bogged down there and like once we get to starro things are awesome again yeah. and, and we get the exactly. climactic scene and and it's a great ending and i and i think all that works but it just it does get weighted down there a little bit and the, and it gets dark and they're like in the john yeah. i just think it gets like I don't it's, know. It, I, I was at home watching it with the lights on and I started getting a little sleepy during that part <laughs> where I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." See, I didn't fall asleep, not but me. I started getting sleepy. Uh, I I didn't,
2: I didn't get sleepy, I got bored. Kylie fully checked out. Okay. 100% like at, with about 20 minutes left, I, I looked at her and I was like, you've been on your phone for like a half an hour. Are you just like, you're just done with this? And she was like, yeah, I don't really care about this anymore. And I was like, yeah. ah, I barely do. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, it gets better once Starro escapes and things like that happen. Even some of the scenes in the tower before, right before that happens are yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, But again, you know, this is kind of what happens with this film and what I'm slightly perturbed by It's like the exact opposite of what bothers me about Ari Aster, where Ari Aster will build and build this amazing thing. And then in my opinion, it falls apart in the third act. This one did the opposite where it was like kind of just meandering for two, two and a half acts of the film. And Uh then in the third act, all of a sudden decides that it wants to be very like poignant and like have something to say and like all this stuff where it didn't really, that didn't there wasn't a lot of that in the beginning. Like, I mean, there was obviously, and I, I was thinking about it the whole time. The you know commentary on American imperialism and stuff like that, uh, which is good. It, they don't maybe make as strong a point as they very easily could. Um, yeah. But there, you know, there is bits of bits of that, especially with the Peacemaker character later on. But then there is a. I'll write it down. <laughs> a, a, I'll write it down. Uh, there is there are two moments in the end. One where we cut back to the rat catcher talking to her dad, who's Taika Waititi, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he said, and she's like, "Why rats?" And he is like, "Because if even the lowest uh, creature on earth has a purpose, then maybe so do I." Mm-hmm. And it's obviously. A very it's a very obvious analogy to the suicide squad or whatever but it's a very good one you yeah. know especially when we've already seen idris elba reacting or not reacting um um fuck what is that? Um, so, for, interacting with his daughter and he's basically just like i have nothing to oh, offer yeah, you," and all that kind yeah. of stuff and so for, Ooh, that's a harsh scene that's, actually it's a harsh yeah. scene and it it speaks to what you were talking about the characters the we're dealing with these characters that are in his case, self-admittedly irredeemable, yeah. right? And so when that happens, while they're in the midst of kind of, you know, trying to change their place in the world and maybe do something positive for once, it's like, that's a nice kind of poignant scene. And it's like, it's a good moment. It's a really good moment. Mm-hmm. And then even better than that, which is really where actually we come all the way back around again and the point about American imperialism really hammers itself home is when the only line Starro the Conqueror has in the film is I was happy floating looking up at the stars and in that with one line we find we know everything we need to know about Starro's character In that yes it is this creature with awesome power but it it's a character that never wanted to be what it is it mm-hmm. never wanted to be a supervillain. it didn't have necessarily any evil intentions but America's insatiable lust and desire to conquer and control the rest of the world, even extending out of our world, Mm -hmm. created this thing that wreaked unknown havoc and caused a massive like Death Toll, and it's like, man, you made me wait fucking two, over two hours for this? <laughs> you could have been giving me, you could have been peppering good shit in there the whole time, and you made me, and so, and my my issue with that is, and, and what kind of has, almost sours me to the film a little bit, is that there were... Give me more! Give me more of that good shit. I think you know? there,
1: I think there's more than you're letting on. Like I say, we read that um, rebel camp scene differently, and and I think That's that I think true. that has some commentary in there, and and I think there's moments with the characters leading up to that. In in particular, I think Idris was probably given the most to work with that way, um, and I think he delivers it well. And so I was excited to to see him pull that off. Um, I I don't know, Joe. You you were gonna jump in there, and I feel like.
0: Well, I, I liked a lot of the visual uh, of it. Sure. Uh, and James Gunn is d- 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 is good on that. I like the Harlequin uh, when she's in like carnage mode that flowers are erupting from yeah. behind her and around her. And, you know, I was it, mixed about that. And I, 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 the, I mean, I that must be something
1: it. they've carried over from Birds of Prey. Yeah, it's, a, and, there's, it's
0: happens in Bird okay. of Prey to a degree. It's become a little bit of her suicide, stamp suicide during... Suicide no. No, it's not, not in there. First suicide. I
2: first not a, that film. Certainly not in the first Suicide Squad. But it and we did can talk, show up in Birds of Prey. And, There's and, some. And, and okay. we can talk more about the first Suicide Squad and the way that Warner Bros. treats its creators that it hires to make uh-huh. these things. But uh, I, I wished, I'll say just quickly, that I wish that that had been a more consistent visual motif throughout the film. You're it's, right.
0: It, There's it, the scene where she's hung up like that, getting better. shocked with the yeah. thing. Yeah. And there's absolutely no stakes because you know no. Harlequin's not gonna die and yeah. you know that whenever the they trailer. turn her back, they're gonna she's gonna look up yeah. and, uh-huh. you know, begin to That's that's unload. part of where it dulled I, for me. Agreed. I, I agreed. We were watching a superhero movie and there's some tropes in there that, that they go to. Uh I didn't mind the um scene with the daughter in the prison with um Idris uh, Idris Elba because mm-hmm. that was nice. Uh, you're gonna Great. set it up real quick, but I really hated the part where she goes, "That's my dad. Uh, that's that, that's li- my dad." I liked that part. It's just so I'm a sucker for that shit, fisted. Yeah, but at the same time, it. you want these folks that you know are 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 doing the job that they're doing because they've got no social redemption. To have some, you know, because you like are you, them. you a, like them at the end of two hours. You like these. Are you
2: people. want a kid to be able to feel proud of their parent? You know, like, some of them to, you like, it's, but the, and, you and, know, and also it's nice that she gets a moment where, for once in her life, she can have a parental figure that even even if it's just for a moment, she can look up to as an
1: example. Sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 actually, I thought that moment was fine. I, I, didn't feel like it was too cheap. It was a nice th-
0: roller coaster ride. I, I don't know if I'll visit it again. Yeah, but I, I not But it. I like
1: that the stakes. I like that these characters die. I like that several of them die. I mean, I, I'm not usually. I love
2: seeing Pete Davidson
1: die. <laughs> I'm not usually somebody who's like, I want more things to die. but, but if you're going to be killing off nameless civilians and rebel fighters and blah blah blah, then I want those. Supervillains on the Suicide Squad also have skin in the game and end yeah. up having, and many of them do die and yeah. or, or almost die.
0: I also liked Polka Dot Man a lot. Yeah, I thought that if you're going to have a useless, silly power, yeah. they fleshed it out as best well, they could. Well, I just could. love
1: that he's so tortured. You know, like He's lived his whole life with this thing that's more of an embarrassment uh-huh. than anything, even yeah. though it does have this ability to do something that could potentially he be useful. Polka dots out. Yeah.
0: And you're like, okay, this is going to be funny. And it can well, like, all tear things they? apart. And, yeah, know, if, they're, if they're razor sharp. What yeah, are they? Thoughts. It could do a lot of karma. Right.
2: Please, just attempt to explain what they are i need to know
1: (laughs) what's the weasel that's what i i i am excited (laughs) to see the weasel come back i was glad he he kind of got revived at the end i think that there was Uh, two
0: post-credit sequences number one the weasel we thought was dead is not dead and number two john cena is not dead
1: which leads us into the peacemaker i don't think i watched any of the post-credit yeah i think
0: i think as
2: soon as it was over i was like i'm out Uh, (laughs) now real quick and this can if 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 you want it to be be the last thing we talk about because we've talked about this film a lot at this point how did you feel about the title cards being a part of the yeah. environment the characters were in
0: it didn't bother me to it was it's distracting
2: I, I did not care for it hmm because I, you're right joe it's distracting i i couldn't I couldn't figure out why I didn't care for it, but that's why is I found it distracting and I found it not necessarily all that... I don't think it was as visually appealing as James Gunn thought it
1: was. I'm trying to remember, Were they doing freeze frames when they did the... No. No, like, no it was like, just... like, like
2: uh, The only one that was
1: cool gosh, was the fire. Really, isn't the fire that, was kind that, of It badass. didn't even stand out to me. That, I That's can't even recall it right now. interesting, it was it like right one now.
0: of the first things Connie oh, and I noticed... You see the Rat catcher, or whatever her name is, uh, part two, about to be shot by John Cena, then it cuts to eight minutes earlier, and it's made out of jet trails from airplanes. Yeah, the, the, okay. The words, eight minutes earlier, white uh, um, on the blue yeah, sky. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, Shit like that. It, it, it is clearly not part of the real world, so no. that makes it no. distracting, but at the same time... Just give me a title card. Uh, what I didn't mind was the subtitles for Spanish into English... All being more stylized than just a white thing on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, I do not I like it, it when was, they'll do it, that. That,
2: a, that actually, I I think I did like that because right. it was almost like um, like the um, speech bubbles on a comic book because the right. subtitles went over their whatever their character mouths. was speaking. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. I thought that was a nice tie-in to the source material. Yeah, I,
0: I think that I was as annoyed as you were, Carlos, on those little...
2: Uh, yeah, I didn't care for it.
0: You not
1: register with me. But... Yeah, I, I mean, I, right. I think... It's nice to see a good R-rated superhero movie, though. It can be. I, I, another one that didn't come up that we should at least mention, Deadpool, obviously. Th- there's some kinship there.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, that's kind of the, uh, that's the blueprint, right? I
1: guess so, yeah, with the R-rated, uh, humorous superhero film. I but,
2: mean, the only other R-rated superhero movie that there is is Logan,
0: right? Spawn. Yeah.
2: No, Spawn doesn't count. Yeah, especially that first. I mean, I know there's going to be another spawn coming soon. Uh, they're rebooting it, but if you take me to if you take me out to bar trivia,
0: I, it, it counts.
2: I mean, certainly at bar trivia it counts. Spawn, Blade, sure, um, but those are sure those are comic book adaptations, but they're not necessarily like superhero films. Right. Hmm. I like an R rated superhero film sometimes.
1: Well, do you like an imperial? Smoothie sour, fruited sour. The they answer... don't claim it's a smoothie sour. I should I should clarify that it's a fruited sour. Uh,
0: the answer is yes. All right. I do like it. is the most marshmallow forward beer that I can recall us maybe ever having. More so than
2: that, uh, drank one we had. Yeah, this is interesting. I thought I thought that orange drink one. Oh, see, yeah, was I wasn't warm. here for that.
0: You, you guys are... had this it was it, just, was just on it. the nose. Before you take a sip, you can smell.
1: Well, I agree. I think you were right, Joe. Was a big function of this beer. The Lucky Charms comment was a good one. I think that's a that's a good uh, touchstone there for people in thinking about the aroma. I was actually a little underwhelmed with the flavor. I just I I wanted it to hit me more, especially strawberry blueberry. I just felt like it was going to come across. I think also I was fooled to some extent by the name because, as I just said, this is labeled as an imperial fruited sour, but it's called super smoothie. And we've had so many smoothie sours mm-hmm. in the recent past. Yeah.
2: It should probably be a smoothie sour if they're going to call it super
1: Well, sour. that's it. I think you got to take smoothie out if you're not going to th- – People in the know probably already know this, and I was just a fool who bought into the the name and and didn't really do the research. So I was, a, I, I guess I was a little underwhelmed just by I thought there was going to be more fruit presence. I agree with you. The the marshmallows there, um, I found it drinkable. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah.
0: The blueberry and the strawberry are there. They're not necessarily always pleasant. There's almost like an artificial flavor to hmm. the fruit portion of this for me. I, I I'm not on. I'm not. Not enjoying it. I am enjoying it, but I, I, I think you succinctly said it. When I began rolling the can to Carlos's delight, I mm-hmm. was expecting some chunks of fruit to roll out of it. Yeah. And this is uh, a little bit of false advertising. Uh, however, I, I would say seek this one out. It's delivering something with all that marshmallow. Yeah. Very interesting. Certainly. Definitely
2: uh, a beer that I would drink again. Mm-hmm. Should it make itself available to me?
1: Well, a brewery that I I will definitely keep my eyes on and and always be willing to pick stuff up by when I see it.
2: I always try to grab their... I see a lot of... Probably probably not this series, just because of the nature of how expensive it is to make a heavily fruited anything. Um, But East First Grocer in Austin always has a good amount of B-52, especially mm-hmm. the Hazy's. And every time I go to Austin, I always stop by East First Grocer, and I almost always end up leaving with a B-52 Hazy.
1: Nice. Uh, well, yeah. there you go. So we, we, we've we had a first half with a you know, sort of re-entry to the superhero realm uh, for us. We're going in a drastically different direction. Uh, we We do have That's I a, think there's a connection there, but the uh, understatement of the podcast. But people may be shocked with what we're pairing this film with uh, when we come back from the break. Oh, he, yeah, yeah, just a little a, early, a little too, just early, a little little early. too early. Stupidest um, game ever. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of set us up here. We're, we're, we're definitely pairing something a little bit. We, we'll get into how tenuous the connection might be in just a moment. <laughs> but um, before we do that, before I go through the laborious process of trying to describe why we thought we would pair these films... Uh, let's get some beer in our glasses, gentlemen. Uh, this is from Tilted Barn Brewery, which is new to the podcast. I know for sure we have not had these guys. They're out of Rhode Island. Wait, actually,
2: we did on episode... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) For a minute there, you had me. Oh, Uh, Joe. (laughs) This is, uh, out of Exeter, Rhode Island. Uh, they have a, um, an American IPA here, so we're going back to a classic style for us. Um, that they call Milo's Phoenix it's born from their desire to improvise and explore Milo's Phoenix has a simple malt bill features a distinctively versatile and fruity yeast strain and is dry hopped with heavy doses of dank tropical Australian hops you know I like my hops dank tropical and Australian so it hits all those (laughs) notes And bright citrus forward American hops. So it's bringing together a couple great tastes that I think might taste great together. We'll find out when we get this in our glasses. Uh, Yeah, I mean, and to tie back to our last
2: episode, I mean, hops from a nation that has been a victim of imperialism and hops from a nation that is a perpetrator of imperialism.
1: Yeah, well, we've vo- we've also been a victim and a perpetrator. Uh, yeah. We we have that more, beautiful
2: more, more recently a perpetrator.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but if we're going to go back to how Australia is a, But but you're on to something.
0: I'll edit that out. This, this <laughs> it's a good style uh, evolution. I think. Definitely a hazy. Yeah, yeah. Coming
1: yeah. coming out of New England, it's it's I, living up to the New yeah, England I think IPA. All
0: those hops you listed, especially the Dankest of Dank, will um, offset some of that. To me, a little too cloying fruit flavor we had in the first half. Okay. Just, just a little oh, bit.
2: Oh, really playing your cards after the review there a little bit. I feel like that was a harsher It was. It was, was like
1: harsher it. On, on, yeah. Um, so, so we're getting this in our glasses, answer, gentlemen. We're, we have something to sip, and we are going to be ruminating on really one of the sort of cinema classics i mean it it's a film that shows up on many a list um is is sort of revered as a world cinema classic mm-hmm. and why are we pairing it with the suicide squad? Well, when we were talking about suicide squad, the whole idea of this film and the film that preceded it and the, is bringing together this ragtag group of characters, the formation of a team to accomplish some kind of goal.
0: A conversation we had similarly on Army of the
1: dead that's right that's right, and with that, we had gone the route of. What did we pair that with? I'm trying to remember. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, yeah. as
2: Another Snyder zombie.
1: Right. But, but here we decided, let's go to a classic. We talked about maybe doing The Great Escape. And The Great Escape is indeed one of those films where it's putting together a team to sort of break out of this prison camp. But it has an origin point that goes beyond that. A, a film that inspired it, at least, at the very least, a portion of that film. And that is The Grand Illusion... From La uh, Grande Illusion, <laughs> La Grande Illusion, yes, uh, w- made by Jean Renoir,
0: who's considered—I mean, we talk about this being on all the lists for one of the best films of all time especially with world cinema, uh, Renoir is on the you know those lists of best directors that ever right. lived.
1: Right, right. Like th- this film and one of the films that he followed it up with, The Rules of the Game, sure. are regularly on many lists of mm-hmm. cinema classics. It's our and, first yeah.
0: trip to visit uh, the work of uh, Renoir, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, today. it is our
2: first dip. And before David synopsizes... Which I will allow him to do, since he was the <laughs> he was on the one that 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 brought us this idea. Uh, you know, yet another example of how every every great thing that America does, we actually stole from somebody else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's your melting pot. We we, <laughs> we can melt down whatever ore you mine, and and we can turn it into cinematic gold. Um, we'll put Steve McQueen in it, and we'll get, yeah, uh, <laughs> put him on
2: a motorcycle, call it a day.
1: <laughs> so the the idea here with Le- the Grand Illusion is that you have it's set in World War One. It was made in nineteen. 19- thirty seven, came out in thirty seven at least. Um so it's about almost twenty years after the war, but set during World War One, and you can imagine this is in the Uh, ramp up to World War Two. Right. As as this the wheels are turning. Mm -hmm. I meant
2: to look up when the Nazi occupation of France occurred. So it was after this movie came out? Um
1: yes. But okay. I, did you look, was it 39? 30, I don't know. So it was, but no. I but, felt like
2: it was still in the threes, like still in the thirties
1: somewhere. But it's like, late. It, so it, it was after me, this. It
2: made me think like, was this made during
0: that?
1: <laughs> no, no. Um, in fact, he was able to at least make rules of the game after this. That, okay. that was, so, okay. But um, I should know more about history. Me too, but the, the timing that like when you, when you start getting into like particular years and when sequences of events, you yeah. got to excuse yourself. There's so much that happened There's in a history. Lot. I mean, yeah, if you know it vaguely happened, but this is set during World War One, um, where we initially start following out following a couple French aviators who are going out on a mission. They are quickly shot down, captured, and become prisoners of war. And then the rest of the film is kind of seeing them go through. These different – well, they start in one prison camp that uh, – primarily for officers, army officers. So they're being treated in kind of a a way that you wouldn't exactly expect if you haven't watched too many POW films that are officer-based and, Mm -hmm. you know, in European society where things are clearly treated a little – particularly, right? Mm-hmm. These people see each other as equals, even if they're on opposing sides in ways mm-hmm. that I don't know that you always see in war films, and there's some commentary there. Certainly. Um, involved a that very we, we can... Very yeah, interesting
2: aspect of this film. we can
1: get into. But initially they find themselves in a camp surrounded by a group, and it, and it does seem like a group is forming, and there is kind of an attempt on the part of these people to burrow their way out of the prison. They're digging a tunnel. It's kind of a, a great method that they have. Yeah. They send one person down into the tunnel it to ala- it elaborate plan right
0: classic Um, stuff
1: which is really what carries over into the great escape and and
0: and the Shawshank Redemption I mean like that right (laughs) right Right. through through it all absolutely uh, the idea that we'll go check out our friends that are working in the garden and let all of the soil that we've collected from our digging fall out of our pants and pillowcases right
1: and so, so we get this phase of the film where it's them, and it seems like it's going to maybe become this film about an escape that's going on. And then it kind of pivots and switches to another camp, because these guys get relocated kind of very abruptly, and they end up in a different space. Um, All
0: of that digging was for naught. It didn't amount to anything that we see They didn't screen. even get to
1: pass it on to the prisoners who were coming in behind them. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So it... it, it
1: you know it shifts, and then it does become about escape again, but it's really more about these relationships among these prisoners, but also their captors and how they relate to one another and in, in particular, Ralphenstein, who's actually the um, I can't remember what his rank was, but he was the one who shot them down initially right. they had met then, and then he's the prison warden, yeah. essentially, the one who's overseeing them what later villain? In there. What a villain, right? A Eric char- von Stroheim. The,
2: the character design of him.
1: Yeah. Like classic German, the, right? The, the monocle.
2: Uh Isn't he the one that's like that's badly injured? Yes, and he's
1: got a neck brace, yeah. It's
2: that's like steel? It Is looks like what, yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. it looks metal, Yeah, you know, and he like can't turn his head and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I felt like when we get back to the castle for in in escapable fortress at the end, he
0: has taken on this more kind mm-hmm. of menacing like look to him. That yeah, I like. see, our version of a POW or a POW camp in cinema is now largely Vietnam, you know, influence. It,
1: yeah, in American cinema for sure, in the 80s and not yet.
0: Right, so to answer your question, uh, Eric von Stroheim plays a captain along with... Um,
1: uh Captain w- Buldieu? Yes. Yeah, Buldieu.
0: I thought you said you were working on your pronunciation. <laughs> I was trying. And they find yeah. Pierre uh Pierre Fresnay. Right. Now he after the injury that causes the net brace he is then you know given the rank of major. Right. He's uh,
1: taken out of the actual like the right. active war now and he's, he's now
0: he's uh the warden of Shawshank, the un escapable prison that some of our characters that we've grown to love in their previous escape attempts have now landed in this mountaintop fortress right. that can't be burrowed out of. That were uh, th- that we've grown to love from some yeah. of their previous adventures.
2: The, the guy who plays, and I'm going to be terrible with names for this because I don't speak French, um, that I know of. Uh, <laughs> uh, the guy who plays like the aristocratic French officer. Yeah,
1: that's uh, that's Captain de is the yeah. character. The yeah actor Pierre Fresnay. Yeah, what a great performance. Yeah,
2: love love well,
1: him. Well, and, and his counterpart, the working class yeah. Lieutenant Marechal, um, played by Jean Gabin. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That yeah. I mean, and that guy he is one of those uh, faces that you know he he aged. Through, you know, he he continued acting mm-hmm. into his older age, and and he has some really great roles later in his career. That for some reason are the ones that kind of um, stand out to me. So it's great to see him in, in a somewhat younger role. I guess, I guess, in uh, in this one. So yeah, it, it, it's fun stuff. Yeah. So, but a lot of it right there. This kind of relationship between the aristocratic uh, captain mm-hmm. and the working class lieutenant, and how they're friends, and they kind of work together and and ultimately the the captain does sort of make a sacrifice well he makes the ultimate sacrifice right um to to sort of allow the working class lieutenant to escape but um but this film has a lot of commentary about class cooked into it no doubt certainly
2: also the guy who plays the working class uh captain or Mm -hmm.
1: lieutenant lieutenant yeah lieutenant
2: looks a lot like kenneth branagh yeah, yeah, he does. yeah,
1: absolutely, especially in his younger years, like seeing him in this film for sure, yeah. Yeah,
2: it was every time I saw him I was like, man, it looks a lot, a lot. <laughs> That's kind of tripping me out a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh striking resemblance. Yeah. Uh but yeah, you're right, there is a lot of uh uh class commentary cooked into this which again, I mean like, you know, I kind of said it jokingly in the beginning that all of the great American movies are a good portion of them at least adapted or have such clear influences that you might as well call Mm -hmm. them adaptations that there's just not quite as much of that, that meat on the bone as there is with something like this. I mean, the scene where, uh, they are, um, the two uh, the German officer and then the posh the are uh, the two aristocratic officers on yeah. both sides. They're talking in the castle fortress place. Um, and I think it culminates in like, why do you take such good care of your geranium? And it's like, Oh, it's the only flower like that scene where they're mm-hmm. talking amongst each other. I mean, you know, there's a clear like reverence and they're talking about their place in the world. And like, they seem to have like, not just this respect for one another, but especially with the German officer towards the French officer, almost a care for one another. Oh yeah. Because they're like,
0: uh, I beg of you not to do this because the next action will be me firing upon you. I beg that, you. I beg that, you that not scene to. at the yeah. end. Yeah. It,
2: Cause I mean, really like the, I think what the point of that part of this film is and what it's saying is that, and we haven't even at, in 1937 reached full blown like late stage capitalism yet. But what it's saying already, which is a very kind of like, um, uh, prediction into the future is that money in class outweighs anything. Sure. Sure. Which is, which is, I guess maybe changing a little bit because we're getting like very strangely nationalist, but like, we can be from opposing sides of the same thing, but ultimately at the end of the day, we're rich white dudes. And so ultimately we're on the same side, like, right, you know, like right. we're, we're the same. Yeah. We're ultimately the same. And yeah. I can connect with you it in a way that I can't even connect with like the lower officers right. beneath me. Right. You know what I mean? It even though
0: in a way that most war films don't do, especially in this time, you know, um, especially a, in this a time, a few in the years, years prior age. to this, it was, um, all quiet on the Western front, which was known for its, battle sequences of the day and of course this was made in the early 30s so you know it's going to be dated but this film is i would i would call it an anti-war film because the grand illusion although it's there's never any exposition that says you know We could be... War is bad. War War is a grand illusion with a wink to the audience. That does not occur. We don't really are told... We are not told, although the word illusion is said by a couple of characters, we're not told what the title of the film is really to represent. But the book that it's based on is uh, it, would,
2: it would be nice if a char- character looked at the camera at the end and said, And that's the grand illusion. And, and then you had one of those. It's an illusion, kind of. son. <laughs> it's you know, a grand illusion. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, um, yeah, where the it blacks into the circle and then But, but the original
0: thesis of the book that this was based on, as I understand it, is the idea that the notion that war is a good kind of GDP creator. Um, has an economic benefit to it, is an illusion. But I think that, Carlos, you're you're, you're right. It's whispering at the he idea says, he that... He even says something about the fortunes of war. At one the point. borders that we're fighting for yeah. th- don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Our class doesn't matter if I end up shooting you and you die from that wound. There is so much social commentary, but it's anchored by fantastic realistic performances of folks that are just living this life. And yeah. this life, of course, is we are POW uh we're in a POW. Or camp.
2: just like war and the consequences they're in. Mm-hmm. You know, in this case it does happen to be And then
0: what an amazing sequence. That they escape from that inescapable. He and uh, and the the friend who's the, the banker.
1: The Rosenthal,
0: right, yeah. and then
1: they, who's like the the Nouveau riche. he he he's wealthy, uh-huh. but he's not part of the aristocratic right. society that uh, and, uh, and up until Stein, riche, that yeah. was very, uh, that's the word, that's the term.
0: <laughs> up until this point, new money, <laughs> yeah, up until this point, a we have seen no battles, <laughs> which I think is just that is a interesting, isn't strike. it? Yeah, yeah, but b we have only seen life amongst soldiers in a POW camp. Now we are out. We are freezing and cold and hungry, and we seek refuge with a widow where you get this third unexpected act of this film, Mm -hmm. which is nothing but beauty and touching and real humanity as.
2: Yeah. It's like the last like what? 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah.
0: These Mm -hmm. folks begin to create a relationship amongst themselves there's a young she's a widow yeah. she's got a young daughter uh who now is seeing a father figure and then how that's disrupted and turned on its ear with promises of with a maybe a new love or at least and a, she's
2: experienced a lot of heartache oh of yeah as well i mean she's lost a lot yeah. of people
0: a beautiful woman beautiful performance uh the film certainly deserves so much of its reputation and pedigree and see it's these kinds of things like all of the things that like strike us
2: as people that like, you know, have watched a lot of films and mm-hmm. especially when we're watching things for this podcast, we're l- looking at it very intently and through a critical lens. The thing that, sh- the thing that is worth noting to me is that these films that make these lists and these films that have like perennial status and the, you know, pantheon of films you should see, they're all ones that are, just full of nuance and full of. Humanity? <laughs> that, that too, but I, you know, I think the, I think the, like, nuance of being able to tell these stories without necessarily falling into any of these incredibly broad and obvious tropes that you could easily fall into. Unless they're creating the trope. Unless they're creating it of course like Seven Samurai. Yeah, they're not hitting you over Um, the
0: head with it because it's... but, But certainly films learned from duplicate and kind of hit you over the head with some of the yeah. tropes we've learned here.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like when you have a key and you make a copy of the key and then you make a copy of the copy of the key and <laughs> the keys get less effective the more that they're copied. It's that kind of situation. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I, ju- I just, think that there's, that there's something to that, that, you know, there's this commentary and there are all of these relationships playing out and then you get this interesting third act and like, um, ha- not, this movie isn't like a, Color by Numbers, like, let's make a war movie. You know what I mean? And that's... Those are the types of films that... No, in uh, fact, I
1: think most people, if you said, hey, let's watch a war film... And you showed them this; they'd think they'd be this upset. Is a war film? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there's very little action. Yeah. I mean, it is in as much almost
0: as Casablanca is a war film. Right
1: there, sure. you go. Its setting is a war, mm-hmm. and, and it's definitely
0: a part of the war that you have. You see the desperation of war be the motivation for many of the characters.
1: Yeah, but yeah, you well, also see them. You know, I think what you said earlier, Joe. I think part of the power of this film is seeing like how humdrum and kind of boring, oh, not boring exactly, but just like how. Every day and plane, being a prisoner of war would be ultimately like okay, this is the stuff that we do right now, mm-hmm. and this is uh, we got to put on a show for him tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, like it. It's sort of. I remember seeing it, you know, years ago w- w- when I first saw it, and being somewhat disarmed by it. Like I could not think because war this films is for me. Start
0: you know, w- were that I had grown up right. on. You're were, telling me that there's some airplane battles. But right. I, where right? are we're they? films of action. Yeah. Where guys
1: like showing grit and determination. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. when I say grit, like, you know, grizzled like yeah. physiques and like, you know, stern faces and
2: all that. You don't but, see the actual plane flying and then being shot down. No. Anymore. Right.
1: You just, about it yeah
2: (laughs) it just says like oh
1: i shot down my second plane right right and that's it and and it's much more about these relationships and the actual like practical matters of okay here we are in this space no i've seen war films that kind of follow more this template since then but for me it was one of those early experiences where i'm like wow you can like this is such an intense situation for people to be in and yet they have to still live their lives and they still have these kind of conversations and they still build these kind Mm -hmm. of relationships and there's still these kind of and I think the peak into European society, I mean, I, I i think is... is certainly different from ours. It is, because it's, you know, we're so, relatively speaking, isolated here in the States, where we, you know, we really are all-encompassing, and we think of these, like, relationships we have as e- with each other, and I think kind of the same context that europeans think about the way that they have relationships with those across their borders and again since the time of this we have an eu right where we have these people who have essentially more formally recognized that there are more close connections between these various mm-hmm. people of these nations than there were separations mm-hmm. between them yeah um and as joe was saying earlier certainly within specific classes even tighter affiliations especially once you get into that aristocracy aristocratic class where you know they're marrying each other's families they're dating some of the same people they have you know the same uh major events that they're attending i mean it, there's a whole connectedness that's there that makes war seem so weird it's like so what? what are these because they never talk about what the actual disputes are what the actual <laughs> ideological lines are that might be you know, sort of um, stoking the fires of world war one. Right. It, it's just almost like an assumed thing. Yeah. Well, we're fighting right now and we have to see this thing through, but, and they talk about it
2: in a strangely matter of fact way like that too. They're like, well, whoever wins this thing.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, not like we're the greatest. And like if these principles, I it's mean, we, get like, more, oh, we have to do this. We get more fiery here about who is and isn't wearing masks in stores than they do about their positions on whatever it is that's dividing these nations that they're fighting mm-hmm. for. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, What's your it's position on masks? Because <laughs> I don't want to have to fight you right now, but
0: I, I will if I need
1: to. Well, you get what I'm saying, though. We No, without we a found doubt. A way, like, it, this film is strangely depoliticized, at least among the characters. Mm-hmm. Now, it, yeah. I'm not saying it's not making a political statement of sorts mm-hmm. in doing that, but it is... I think it's upheld as one of those films that's like sort of a a paragon of humanism, right? This idea that we're all more alike than we are different and why aren't we able to talk more? And like, look, these characters are talking and right. they're on the, you know, there's a reality to that. Like we, we put up these barriers for each other and we're, you're French and you're German. That means that we're at war right now and I will literally shoot
0: you to death right okay. now because you're arbitrarily breaking this. I mean, right. yeah. Because yeah. we were born 150 yards from one another instead of 25 yards from one right. another. Therefore, we must be enemies. There's also a very interesting scene. I hate the people that live on the south side. I oh, mean. of course. Well, what would <laughs> yeah. <you> ever... I'm <laughs> at war with the people on uh, the south side. Why would you drive down there? <laughs> We'll I'm be. sorry, Corey. I, their <laughs> I, subway's I like, got a drive through though. My subway doesn't. I like, I like Lazy Beach. I'm um, not trying to be at war with Lazy Beach. <laughs> there, there's yeah, a, no, Lazy Beach is totally okay. They're great. They're That's great. like safe territory. Yeah. The POWs uh, in the first camp that we find in, this is the one where they're digging the tunnel, uh, put on a, a vaudeville show. Someone mentioned it a little while ago. Yeah, and they get mm-hmm. a uh, trunk filled with female costumes and clothes. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, yeah. back in, even back in the days of Shakespeare, men would often uh, play female pl- play, roles, play yeah. female roles. And if, in a all male POW camp, that's what you're going to have to do. And there was some f- really interesting. I don't know if it would have come from a uh, an American studio in the 30s. Sensuality about um, men seeing women's garments, things like stockings, things like corsets that would be... Well, and then the way they look at the guy who dresses in them. (laughs) The way way that he stops all action from going on because here's a feminine figure. Right. It's not explored. It's not beaten into the ground but it's subtle enough to where it's there it was yeah. making a very interesting point back in 1936 yeah.
1: 1937 yeah. And, and it's and it's also the as far as we get to see what, what my maybe my favorite character at least of the first act of the film uh, Cartier is the the vaudeville performer right. the, the one who's very expressive over the top and funny and very, guy, like, yeah. And he he's some nice comic relief mm-hmm, through that first mm-hmm. you know section of the film, and I'm always sad when he like the the times I watch this, I'm like, oh, I wish he had gotten to stick around longer because I was I like seeing his his presence on screen. Um, Julien Carrette is is
2: yeah, I, mean, I think I mean I think there's definitely a reason that this film is held in as high of regard as it is, and I think it's definitely a movie worth seeing, and it's certainly a movie that. I am interested in seeing again.
0: Yeah, and I haven't seen the rules of the game yet. No, I need to. This
2: is this. This is my first time seeing this movie. Yeah, and it's my first Jean Renoir film. This is my first so, Jean uh,
0: Renoir film. But I have seen this one before. Might be my only one, but I've seen it at least he, twice.
2: I mean, uh, he's definitely a filmmaker it, we, that I'd want to look at. Yeah, a we bit had this
0: conversation into. with Itumamath on BM. We had this conversation recently we with. We had this conversation um, a lot. <laughs> with uh, the Werner Herzog episode we did recently. I mean, I mean,
2: really, at the end of the day, that there's so many fucking movies to yeah. watch yeah you know yeah there's a, a lot of film out there to watch and there's a lot of worthwhile film out there to watch and yeah. this is certainly one of them it's it, certainly it, one. is, is the, this a worthwhile beer
0: <laughs> I good good, good good segue <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and take that because I, I, I do you, like this film yeah. <laughs> i think i've made it
1: clear I okay mean, yeah, yeah. yeah i was
2: uh, I, I don't know you were riding the fence there a little bit for a while <laughs> Uh, you, you know, I think Casa- Wait, hold on. Did David say "fuck the Grand Illusion"? Uh, <laughs> no, I
0: said I "fuck rules of the game." Casablanca like, okay. came out in '42. Am I right? Uh, they're I'm about, about. I'm not the man. To okay, ask about that, that sounds right. It is simil- when barbed wire came out. Yeah, it, it, it is similar in that, and, and and it's got Grand Illusion. Uh, I, I think fingerprints all over it. It's about war. It's not showing war. It's uh, uh, about. Uh, the, the pursuit of something that needs to happen for people to escape. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there, and if and if you can,
1: the singing ha- of the Marseillaise. Sure, exactly. Right. No,
0: yeah. if you can hang with uh, Casablanca, and and anyone should be able to. And that movie really gets better every time I see it. Yeah, um, I haven't seen it in very well. Long time. This is a great double feature with Casablanca. I, 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 I agree. Would think. I think
1: that would be a good a good pairing. And yeah. and I think the the only real barriers to it are to to whatever extent that um people get turned off by subtitles. I mean that's it's you know like a lot of
2: languages in this movie. Yeah,
1: and <laughs> and, and and it's one I, I will say whenever I rewatch films like Grand, the Grand Illusion it, it's <laughs> well, it's great because you, you get to focus a little bit more on the expressiveness of the performers, on you're how they're actually that delivering the lines, because again, yeah. yes, if, you, if you're if you kind of familiar with where the dialogue is going to go, you don't have to pay as close attention to it, yeah. and there is that sort of, I mean, there's a reality to, I understand why foreign films, you know, quote unquote foreign films, l- films and languages other than your mother tongue... Why there's that hurdle for people? Because a lot of what we love about films is looking at the people delivering yeah, the lines, and, they, and if you're so focused on what the words on the screen are that you can't spend the time seeing those performers express them, it yeah. does create a certain kind of tension. So, but to me, you know, that, that I hate to see that be a barrier. And the reality is, give these films a shot, and and if you like it, if you find something there, rewatch it. And I guarantee you're going to get even more out of it because it's you're going to see certain, certain more of that performance the next time.
2: Yeah. And it's, you know, I think also, you know, we talk a lot about the age of streaming that we're in and whatnot. And people do sometimes put things on in the background as they're doing something else. Yeah. You
0: can't. The, no, that's do that. You made with that a point well film with, Yeah, you because, made that point well with Ito Ma Tambien. Yeah, you have to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good job, Coop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So,
2: I forgot that past me made a good point. But, but oh, remember, yeah. though, when I
0: said that when I—that's I, the fourth or fifth time I've seen it. But the first time in maybe eight years, and and I, there is something to be said, David, with what you're saying. Two viewings: the first to see what the story is, the second one, and the future ones to see how they told it to you, what the technique was, the filmmaking technique. And I think that um, this film, Parasite. Ituma Tambien, to just mention that one again. Uh, those are three great examples of the story being you uni- know universally fascinating mm-hmm. to, old boy. to where that the language sure the language does not get in the way, but that second viewing sure would be great because the action sequences in old boy are really worth it's fucking it. watching closely, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you've another, already watched it once, just to understand the words that you're hearing.
2: Another foreign film that was the blueprint for so much that came after it. I mean, how many hallway scenes have we seen since Old Boy? You know, yeah. Um, Daredevil, an American sure. film that took it from yeah. you know. Anyway,
0: um, <laughs> two great movies. Well. One great movie. And I, I one think yeah, serviceable. <laughs> one that, <laughs> popcorn and, and fluff. again,
1: like it, it helps put it into relief here, right? Like, I mean, I think what what we're looking at in the second half is something that rightly deserves its place as a cinema classic. I don't think the Suicide Squad is ever going to be there, but I don't think it's aspiring to. It, it's it, it does what it sets out to do, and it's and it's fairly entertaining. And I think, hey. A lot more eyeballs will see it on this earth than ever see The Grand Illusion. And that may be unfortunate, but it is what it is.
2: (laughs) And, you know, in terms of Suicide Squad, we can only judge a film by its own ambition. So, you
1: know. There you go. Take that for what it is. I think that's a good point. Um, That's a good point.
2: Now, we can also only judge a beer by its own ambition. And this beer was set out to do some things. It was. Did it accomplish... The things that it set out to do. Now, if I remember the can, I'm not reading it off. Uh, you know, there's some fruitiness there. There's some some dank hops. Well, they
1: talked about the combination of these dank Australian hops with the citrusy uh, yeah. American hops. Yeah, yeah.
2: The, so, my one word review of this beer is sticky.
1: It's got the dankness. Yeah. I, I, I get that. But it's, it's also, sticky. I mean, I think I think there's truth in advertising here where there's also the citrusiness. I agree. I think that there's a nice balance there. Joe was kind of talking about how when I read the description that he was hoping that it would help kind of, you know, you don't want something that's too cloying and sweet, fruity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think this it's is not. that. Mm-mm. This Mm-mm. stays lighter um i'm actually th- this this one may have won me back i i think i kind of hinted last week that i feel like i've gone down this pathway where i want all lighter crispier beers sure. all the time we're getting youngling soon it's here on but tap like on, on, yeah, yeah, yeah on retail shelves yeah. we're getting
0: 6.8 might be above an abv number that you're aiming for david but this is crisp and drinks, well, light
1: n- no, but I was, but I was going to say, like, this is getting me back to where mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, there's justification sometimes for having that almost 7% IPA mm-hmm. when it can do this with the hops in a way that really plays out just as I want it to and yeah. doesn't weigh me down, doesn't leave me feeling. Uh, you know, super heavy. Like, I wouldn't quite call it crispy, but it does have like a, a, a certain lightness to it.
0: That certain drinkability, for sure. Yeah. I find yeah. this beer to be moderately excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, Title moder- of the episode. Moderately excellent. Moderately yeah, excellent. It, 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 I, I, that there, might
1: be a good description of Suicide Squad.
0: <laughs> there's a fantastic uh, compliment in there somewhere. I mean, to, to be fair, it is we we when we get a traditional IPA on this show between the fruited, jacked up cinnamon add anything you can IPAs,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we're sometimes taken aback by its simplicity, yeah, uh, by its just um, seeding to trying to put forth the IPA style in the most kind of textbook manner. Mm-hmm. This is doing that, but I think that the combination of the hops that they're, you know, marketing, is a fantastic balance of flavor when it comes to the hoppiness, when it comes to the, the malt bill of this, and uh, the six point eight is hitting me just where I, I want to be hit. And uh, it's a, it's a, it, the more I drink this, the, the 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 stock in my super smoothie that we had in that first uh, half is is kind of going down. It's just so simple and well, there direct. You go. Look and, at this. This is yeah. actually
1: some good pairing, even though this has no connection to the movie. You're you're taking something that you know, is going for those kind of special effects. It's a super smoothie, it's Mm -hmm. the fruited sour, Mm -hmm. it's the marshmallow in the beer. And yeah, it does it pretty well, and it does it well enough to really probably please most audiences, like the Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. But then this Milo's Phoenix has that kind of more classic, subtle... Elegance. Yeah, it's putting things into such, you know, beautiful... Balance here that we're coming away with just a great experience with a truly, you know, I, I think uh, just thoughtful approach to a classic style, and 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 we're seeing that with what Grand Illusion does with its you know take on the war film.
0: For sure, that I, was a bunch of bullshit, but it was so well done, David. Hey, thank I'm you. Give it to you. <laughs> I that don't think fantastic. it was bullshit. I think
2: it was fucking spot on. And there's nothing nothing that I add. really feel that I can add to that. <laughs> because so, i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't dream of saying it better myself so all of that being said i think the episode is over if someone know? stuck yeah, it I, I, out do you want to give them next week's titles yeah so i will now embark upon my closing soliloquy yeah, uh, the thing that we do <laughs> it's the thing that we do um so you know we hope you uh, enjoyed this episode and got this far with us and all that kind of good stuff next week um just to peel the curtain back a little bit, I thought I was going to be going out of town, but with, you know, the state of the world, the way that it is traveling as far as I was going to travel, especially by airplane was probably not the most responsible idea. So I'm no longer going to do that, but we had already locked in our programming, Mm -hmm. uh, with the assumption that I would be traveling for the majority of the next week and having limited time to view the films. So we decided to do a throwback, a more archival type of episode, Uh, And we're gonna double up on Hitchcock again. Uh, We've done it in the past, and we'll do it again, and we'll probably do it again after this. So we're gonna be talking uh, North by Northwest, and we're gonna pair it with the Thirty Nine Steps. The Thirty Nine Steps, more so than North by Northwest, which is going to sound controversial, is a film that I've always really, really
1: wanted to see. Yeah. Um, Can't wait to hear more about that. (laughs) So, Carrie Grant as the lead.
2: Yeah. So Uh, I'm
0: uh, I'm talking about North by Northwest, of course.
1: Yeah. 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 Um,
2: So I'm very excited about this next episode. Um, so you have your homework for next week's episode. Yep. Go watch the films. And yeah, then... we've got
0: a great pairing of beers. with those.
2: Uh, sure. We always do. Uh, and then rejoin us. Um, you know, we've referenced a couple of times uh, that there might be more to this discussion that we didn't get to. Uh, and that's going to be happening on our Patreon, which we have not, mentioned yet and shame on me for waiting almost an hour and a a half to do that but patreon.com slash burning movie podcast five dollars a month gets you a bonus episode every single week uh we do expand on our conversation from the main episode and we do talk about beer and movies but we also talk about a great many things i know personally uh on the movie front, I did watch Freaky starring Vince Vaughn, uh, which I have thoughts about. Um, but I, I also finished F-Boy Island <laughs> and I, you know, I've watched them and, uh, we're gonna be talking a little bit about, uh, the Mike White, uh, HBO Max series, White Lotus a little bit, I think plus I'm sure a great many other things. Um, as far as this episode goes, you know the conversation doesn't end here. You can join in via so, all, all all of the social media channels. You can get in on the conversation. Uh, call us fucking idiots for our takes if you want or you know, affirm that react we- React to Joe's TikToks. React to Joe's TikToks. Check out Joe uh, Hilliard on TikTok. <laughs> Uh, but you can find us on all your favorite social media channels, uh, Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, facebook.com slash Beer Movie TX, Beer and If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. Feed that algorithm so that it does what it does. Uh, we know you're going to give us a five-star rating, but please leave us a written review as well. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of in the future. Uh, at some point I might even review your review on the show. Um, so I think that about covers it for things um
1: until next time frontiers are an invention of men nature doesn't give a hoot